Well, welcome back to Resisting Pretense. We're having honest conversations about faith and modern culture. Something like that. <laughs> Are you guessing know, at this sounded, now? It sounded that... like a question. <laughs> Are we? Are we? Are we honest? We is it really a question? Is it really a conversation? I we are hoping to inspire faith-filled conversations in culture. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <laughs> and today we're talking about the Bible. Well, there's a lot to talk about. Is there some place special you'd like to go with that conversation? I got a thing. I got a, a thing, thing about the Bible. Yeah, a I, thing. it is not a magic book, and I, a lot of times, particularly, strangely, inside the faith, like people of faith, people followers of Jesus, sometimes treat it a little bit like a magic mm. book. And so we're going to get into that, but we're going to talk about the Bible as you know, just. A lot of different angles on it, I think. It is by far the best-selling book of all time. Yeah, in fact, you will never see it on a like New York-type uh, top 10 or an Amazon or anything like that because it has been the number one book for so many years that they don't even count it anymore. Yeah, it's just assumed. They just like, yeah. yeah. So really, the number one is the number two. <laughs> um, but they just don't want to, they just don't want to acknowledge that. Yeah. It is the most studied book of all time. Again, by far, it has been, it has been studied backwards and forwards inside and out, um, like, like crazy. Uh, and, and strangely, as much as it's been studied, I, I think it's the most misunderstood book of all time. It's so often misquoted or misused, or sometimes even quoted that like, other sources are quoted and people think it's the Bible and it's not. Uh, like what, what's you said one the other day. Well, I actually looked it up because oh, I you? thought, I thought there was some fun things that, that we could, you know, kind of play around with. And, and you're right. And I think oftentimes those misquotes mm -hmm. have a root of truth that comes from the scripture. Oh, like God helps those who help themselves. Exactly. Not in the Bible. You know, like this too shall pass. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Not in the Bible. <laughs> Although reading, reading Deuteronomy, you might feel that way. <laughs> There's nothing that says that. God works in mysterious ways. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Now, Con conceptually in the Bible. Conceptually, but it's there, but you're not going to find those words. And so right. people will say, well, the Bible says. Right. Well, no, it doesn't. In fact, I had to laugh because I have this shirt that's kind of a, the, the negative image. Like in a photograph, it's the negative. Image. Oh, like a reverse. Yeah. So uh -huh. it's like the reverse image of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And underneath it, it says, I never said that. <laughs> um, That's funny. Be in the world, but not of the world. That's all. Oh, that's so close. It is. It is. But that's, yeah. and like I said, it's their concepts and some of them are very close, but to say, well, the Bible says, well, um, God will not give you more than you can handle. This is my favorite one. I'm just mm. like, show me where it says that, because I'm pretty sure God gives a lot of things that you can't handle to prove that he can handle it. Mm -hmm. um, God who helps those who help themselves. Right, right. <laughs> so these are, you know, these are just some of them that, that are the common ones that 
people misquote or, or attribute. Right. And I think, you know, when you compare and contrast things that uh, followers of Jesus, things that they believe about the Bible that are either right and some that are wrong, um, and people who are not followers of Jesus, who are not, you know, who haven't read it, who just have assumptions about it. Oh my goodness. The assumptions about the Bible are sometimes crazy. Some people think Jesus wrote it. Actually, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be uh, surprised to hear that he didn't write anything in the Bible. He's quoted uh, often in portions of the Bible, but he, he did not himself write any of it. Um, I've heard people say that the, somebody just like a few hundred years ago, somebody just wrote it and, and put it out there as if it was, you know, but you have to be like on a, on a crazy level, crazy level of conspiracy theory to believe that that's possible because historically the Bible is, has been studied for so long by so many people over so many years. Like we know where it comes from. We know the people that wrote, we know and historically it's, you know, it's a, it's a proven document. It, it and, is, it is the well most documented. Oh yeah. History. Um, and it, and it's interesting because you're right. People will go, well, then, you know, I, I, I had to kind of, my, my head automatically went to the, um, the, uh, I don't know what the word is, the correctional list out there that says, well, God inspired. It says God's word is inspired that he inspired all the writing. So Jesus must've wrote the Bible. And yeah. I'm like, you have no clue, <laughs> <laughs> but nothing is attributed to Jesus. Everything, the whole Bible is attributed to God mm -hmm. as being his inspired word, but nothing is, is actually said that he wrote down and is, and is yeah. put in. And so, um, I've heard people say, oh, the Bible just keeps getting changed over the years. And again, a, a huge false statement because we have copies that are, you know, dozens, hundreds. We have, we have documents that are, you know, over a thousand years old that we can say, oh, okay, well, you know, we can see the original, you know, not the original, we can see early source material and see that the translations, and I think sometimes the reason people say it's been changed is because it gets retranslated as language changes and language does change, you know, the way people talked a hundred, sorry, well, yeah, a hundred years ago, but even, you know, maybe the way people talked 500 years ago with mm -hmm. these and those and all that, the things that, um, people sometimes associate with, with old English that is in some of the early Bibles, um, the Bible's been retranslated into modern English. It's the, it says the same thing, but they've put it in modern language. Um, and so people inaccurately say, oh, well, the, it's been changed. No, it's been retranslated into modern terms. So you're an older Christian than I am. I'm not an, you're, oh, I'm wow. older than you are, but you're an older <laughs> Christian than I am. Because it seems to me in my memory, I always remember it, you know, oftentimes in the, in in church's statements of faith, they'll say, um, we believe in the Bible as being the entire inspired word of God. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it would end there. And the more I read statements of faith now, it adds on 
to its original writings. No, yeah, in its the, original document. In yeah. its original, and I think, and I thought, okay, that's their answer to. It's been retrans, you know, yeah, so changed over time. And then I think, particularly for those people who know about the Bible but have never read it, um, their assumptions of what's in it are kind of fun. A lot of people think it's just a list of rules, um, really archaic kind of list of rules, and they they don't understand really that it's it's history, it's poetry, it's song, it's it's. Um, it's letters, it's correspondence. I mean, there's just, it's this rich, it's biography. Uh, there's this rich tapestry it, and it's, it's not, it's written by, uh, well, it's 66 collected books. It's like an anthology. That's not a, you know, it's not a single book written by a single person and multiple right. authors writing, you know, dozens of different books over about a 1500 year time period. So, I mean, there's just all this, uh, the dynamic of what makes up the Bible is often not what people expect if they haven't, if they haven't engaged in it. Well, and they think about sometimes as the Bible being this book of nonfiction mm -hmm. and most, I mean, there is very much a lot of nonfiction in the Bible, but there's right. also some stuff that is fictional in the Bible to bring home a point Yeah, to bring home. I mean, Jesus even said, this is a parable. Yeah, it's a story. This, this is, is a story. story. This, this is a fable, essentially. Yeah, yeah. you know, and so... It's a story with a point. Well, the Bible says, you know, the Bible says this, so it must be true. It's like, well, wait a minute. The point of that story was to teach you a lesson. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that this actually happened. Even in Jesus' word says, I teach in parables. Right. You know, so um, I think sometimes we get, they, they get wrapped up in generalizations sure. instead of, you know, looking at some of what really the details are because they haven't read it. Right. So that's, those are some of the misconceptions for people who've not read it, but even for people who have read it. So this is the, like inside the, the, the no world of, of church life and, and, and Christian life. There are people who treat the Bible in what I consider some kind of bizarre ways. Like for example, um, People who quote the Bible and they feel like quoting it is has almost like this magical property. And I know where they get it. They get it from like these statements in the Bible, like God's God's word won't return void, like, you know, that that it it will accomplish what God set out for it to accomplish. And then they they jump from there. So, you know, if they're feeling um if they're feeling sad, they'll quote some part of the Bible about happiness and feel like, well, that will make me happy. And it's like, it's, they're getting focused on the words of the Bible being special rather than the message of the Bible being special. Or the person of the Bible, that their happiness will come from my saying this incantation <laughs> instead of saying, Jesus, this is about my Savior. I'm glad my, you clarified that. I was my, like, do you think the Bible's a person? My, well, <laughs> it no, points, it's not. It points but, to a person. But it points to, it, right. it, it is a spotlight on, on our Father God and, and our Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, and it's a spotlight on where those things come from. But sometimes we're too busy trying to say, well, if I say these certain words, then I'll be happy versus 
if I understand that these words come from an amazing God, mm-hmm. an amazing Savior, that my happiness is found there, you're right. They miss the message. Yeah, because it's about, spinning off of what you said, it's about relationship. It's not a rule book, as many people can mistakenly think of it. It's not fundamentally a rule book. It's a, it's fundamentally a book that's designed to engage us in a relationship with, with our creator. It's designed to help us to know Jesus and, and know the father and to know the, the spirit that takes up residence in our lives. And so it's not fundamentally just instructions. It's, it's designed to to initiate that relationship with God. It's a let God help book. Instead of a self-help book, it's a let God help book. I think I kind of knew kind of book. Can, can we get a new section in the bookstores of a mm-hmm. let God help book section? Yeah, and there's all these, uh, well, all these, there's, there's a, a couple of stories in the Bible that I think highlight that it's not about the rules and the things that we do that, you know, but, but it's about relationship. There's a, uh, a story Jesus told or a, a lesson really Jesus gave where people were, he said in the future, some people will come to me and say, Hey, didn't I do this for you? And didn't I do this? And didn't I do this? Did, didn't I follow all the rules? Didn't I do all the things? And he said, my response will be go get away from me. Cause I never knew you. Um, And the whole point, according to Jesus, is to get to know him, to get to know the God that sent him, Um, and not about the, not about following just a a list of rules. Well, I think the the passage you're talking about actually comes from Matthew 7, 21, 22. And the reason I know, the reason I know that is because my early... My early life, my pre, what I would consider my my pre-salvation life, um, I had all the head knowledge. Mm. I knew, you know, I knew what the Psalms were. I knew what the Gospels were. I knew what the stories were. I knew what the words were, all that kind of stuff. But I didn't have that relationship with Jesus until I read that passage that he said, but I don't know you. And I thought, oh my goodness. Hmm. here is this savior that is saying to me directly, you know, all, you know, all the stuff, you know, all the Bible stuff, mm-hmm. but you don't know me. And that broke me. That was the part that said, you know, here was God speaking to me saying, I don't know you. That's what happens when the Bible touches you. It's not right, like I, right. I say these words and go, ta-da. <laughs> so another thing about the way that Christian people some sometimes look at the Bible. Um, and again, it's goes into this whole thing about relationship is that sometimes I feel, or the way I hear people talking about it, it's like, it seems like they have more of a relationship with the book than the person the book's about. And I've always kind of liked the description. Some people describe the Bible as a love letter from God. And I don't mind that description. It's maybe a little overly simplistic about what it is. It's, you know, it, that's a very general way to talk about it, but it's not, you won't, you won't open it and read it and say, Oh, this is a love letter. Uh, well, especially when he goes, you brood of vipers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but ultimately what it is, it's a, it's a, it's a message from God that 
lets us know who he is and how much he loves us. And so in, in that sense, it, it, it ends up being a love letter from God. Um, but the point of a, a love letter is not to fall in love with the letter. Correct. The point of a love letter is to fall in love with the person who wrote it or, mm -hmm. to, or to develop or grow in love with the person who wrote it. And I think sometimes Christian people, because it's hard, like, I mean, let's be honest, it's hard to build a relationship with, with a creator of the universe that you can't necessarily see or heal or hear or feel or touch. And, you know, like it's, it's this nebulous kind of thing. Um, it's much easier to interact with words on a page. And some, sometimes I think, cause it's simpler. I, I see Christians who seem to have more relationship with the Bible than they do with the God that the Bible's talking about, which is like a little heartbreaking. Well, and there's kind of a, as you said that I was thinking about the pendulum swing there mm. is on the one side, you got the people who are so in, in, engaged in the Bible that they've missed the relationship swing to the other side. There's people who are not engaged in enough of the Bible to know the relationship, understand the relationship. Right. They, they kind of almost like they found out there is a God. And so they just kind of talk to that God, but there's, if they would engage in the Bible, they would learn so much more. Right. It's kind of like, oh, I have this, I have this person who sent me all these love letters, but uh, it's a lot to read. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll just, I'll just think about them. <laughs> it's like, but wait, they, they sent you all this great stuff to, yeah, but I, I don't like reading. You know what I think? I'll, I think I'll just... <laughs> flop open my box of, of love letters and choose a sentence in there that yeah. looks cool to me. And, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. then you have the other extreme. So you have the people who, who, you know, kind of don't engage with it and they're missing out on so much. And then you have the other extreme of people who I think because it's so tangible, it's so like they get so Bible focused that it's almost like they don't think about, the God, and we kind of, I guess we already covered this, but they don't, they don't think that much about the God. They just get more into, oh, well, the way this relates to that and this, and, and they get so caught up in the minutia of the Bible and the little, the little nuances and the this and the, and, but they're not connecting it to the God that delivered it to them. They're just, they're just getting excited about how nuanced and how rich and thick this, this resources it's like how how many functions the tool has but they're not actually doing anything with the two they're just studying the tool rather than using it for its purpose right right that's that's an interesting thought you know uh, we had we, we when we were originally talking about this and this kind of swings back to, to one of one of our other points but it's that idea that uh in the story and i'll let you tell the story um, but in the, the sons of Skiva, <laughs> you know, that, that was that idea that if I do these certain things, if I say these certain words, you know, so tell the story. All right. So there, this is, uh, early in the, the development of the church after Jesus has died, risen from the dead. And he's, he's commissioned his followers to go and spread the news. And, uh, one of, one of his 
early converts was a guy who at first was very against uh, Christianity. His name was Paul. Um, and then he, he converted and he became a massive leader in the church. And so Paul is out there telling people about Jesus. And um, I think he was on an island. Uh, I think he was on the island of Cy Crete, Cyprus. I don't know, somewhere somewhere in the Mediterranean. Um, and so he's going around and then he hears about these guys. They're, they're seven sons of a Jewish priest and they're out, uh, in the community and they're, they're trying to kind of build a name for themselves and they're, they're performing exorcisms and their way of performing exorcisms is to go and they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, demon come out of this person. And, and as the story goes, they, they get themselves in this situation where whoever was the possessed person responds to them. Well, I know Jesus and I know who Paul is. I have no idea who you are and proceeds to kick all their butts and they <laughs> run out like beat up naked, yelling, you know, running for their lives because they weren't doing it. They weren't using these words from a place of relationship with right. Jesus. They were just parroting words that they'd heard. And the words themselves aren't the, the power and the meaning. It's, it's what's behind the words. It's what the words are pointing us to. And it's really who the words are pointing us to right. that have the power and the meaning. And the, so, yeah. Oh, gosh. I love that story. Uh, <laughs> That's why I let you tell it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, you, you do the nicest things for me. Um, last thing, last observation I want to make about ways that, that Christian people tend to get a little messy with the, the Bible is sometimes they use the Bible like a club to beat people with. And even though inside the Bible, there are some very pointed words about how um, how we're to treat each other in love and carefully and graciously and how we're to treat outsiders carefully and lovingly and graciously. And that there's, there's not condemnation in, in, um, in Christ, but it's, it becomes sometimes for some people a tool of judgment where it's almost like they're, they're using this book to try to uh, either control or beat people down or try to get, you know, as, as a means of aggressive change making rather than careful, loving change. They're just using it to, like, you know, it's the pop on the back of the head. I've been watching a lot of NCIS and I think one of the characters always pops people on the back of the head. And that's where we, we, I think we get the term Bible thumper. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yes, it's it is. not because they're thumping the Bible. It's because they're trying to thump somebody with the Bible. Yeah, exactly. And and it and you know it it goes back to the whole idea of that's a clanging bell. That doesn't mean anything to me. All you're doing is being annoying and and mm -hmm. um, loud and have have no have no interest because of of how you're doing that. You know, and it is out of character with most of the message of the Bible. I mean, there's there's a time and place for for direct confrontation. Um, but even that in the Bible talks about doing those kinds of things in love. Um, well, and honestly, most of the confrontation, at least in the new Testament was, was directed at the leaders of the church, not at the people trying to follow. Right. Or, or trying to investigate or 
kick the tires, if you will. It was more at the people that, that, you know, they were saying, you're making them worse than they were, you know? So let's talk about what the Bible is. What are the things that really grab you when you think about what the Bible is? We've talked a lot about misuse, misquote, mis misunderstandings. Um, what is it? Well, like, what is it about the Bible that engages you? Why is it meaningful to you? Oh, that is a great question. Um, because I think in so many ways, I've probably read through now maybe three or four times, maybe five, um, or maybe I'm on my fifth time, something like that. But I generally try and read through on a regular basis. And for me, oftentimes, um, it reflects the character of God or sometimes mm -hmm. the voice of God. Um, I mean, cause there are things that speak directly to me. There are things that, that just jump off the page at me and, and it just, it feels like God is talking to me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so when I read that, you know, I, that's the voice of God, but like, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to write, wrap my, 2023 mind around an old Testament God. Mm. And so sometimes it's a matter of just trying to, trying to understand God's character in these particular situations in, in whatever's going on. You know, um, I always come to the point where Moses doesn't get, get to go into the promised land. And it's almost like I hit this place every time and go, okay, why God? Why? I mean, <laughs> why are you letting him, here, you know, and it's, and it's a moment in time and it's a moment of example, because when you jump to the transfiguration, it was Elisha and Moses there, correct? Mm. Yeah, I think so. So here is this amazing man from the old Testament engaged with Jesus in the new Testament. So you have to go, Okay, I like so he obviously miss, like he missed out on some things. He didn't miss out on everything. Yeah. yeah. And 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 really did he miss out on I mean, you know, he God said I'm you're going to lead him to the promised land. But he never, you know, and so once Israel went into the promised land, they had a bunch of battles and and you talk about a headache in the promised yeah, what land. Was he? he was like 120 years old at that yeah, point. Yeah, you know, God probably <laughs> <laughs> but when you're reading scripture, you're like, but he did all this stuff. Why aren't you letting him into the promised land? And yet he was granted into the greatest promised land mm -hmm. of all time. Yeah. But you don't, unless you read all of it, you don't get that character. You don't pick up on those. Right. Oh, I get it now. This is what God was. That's really cool, God. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's this whole for me, oftentimes there's a whole conversation going on with God and okay, I don't get this. Why are you moving this here? Why? Are you... <laughs> so I love you, you talking about how it's revealing the character of God to you. And there's a place in scripture where it talks about itself being a, a double, like the scripture is a double edged sword. So on the, on one edge, it's revealing the character of God on the other edge, it's revealing your character. And that, that passage about the double-edged sword, you know, it says even dividing uh, joint from marrow. marrow yeah. yeah. And, and uh, 
but this idea is it's revealing the character of God at the same time it's revealing your character because you you can you, you can read it and look at yourself and compare yourself to what you're seeing and say do I have that kind of faith or you know as you as you read about a guy like Moses and who on the one hand made some errors and on the other hand what he did that was faithful and good was so amazing and so you think about you know what what I have been more error, more error and less amazing than him, you know. And so you can just comp- compare yourself to what you're reading and to the aspiration of what you could be and what God has in store for you. And are you really living that, experiencing that? And so it's on at the same time that it's revealing God's character, it's revealing our character as as we engage in it. And it, because it is a message from God, the words from God, I think there is there is. I don't want to discount the fact that it it, it is a powerful book and it has it like it is a spiritual book and those that message that's in there is alive it's 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 not just dead words on a page it's the the god behind the words makes them alive to you and it's it's revealing stuff to you we have this discussion often in uh, a small group that i'm a part of and um this this one gentleman just he, he just cracks me up because it's it's like every time he goes I know they're changing the words because they were not there the last time I saw them. I mean, and he's just, he's funny about it, but he's, he's being literal, not literal. He's being truthful that it's like, I never saw that before. Why didn't mm-hmm. I see? I, you know, I know that I know the book hasn't changed. So why is that there so powerful now when it wasn't the last time? Yeah. I can read the same story five times and and it may be the fifth time I get a whole nother nuance of the story that I never caught the first four times. And now it's just hitting me like a ton of bricks because it is, it's, it's alive in it. Like it hits you where you are and with what you need, because God has that ability to do that. And it's in some ways it's his spirit enlightening our minds to things that we need in the moment as we read through. Well, and that's where I think, you know, in my vision of God, the Holy Spirit is there going, okay, Scott, now you're ready for this. Hmm. That whatever it was before, I was not ready to hear. I was not either spiritually or emotionally or in a good place or whatever. But at that moment, I was in the place that God said, okay, now I can reveal this to you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it reveals the character of God. It reveals our character. Uh, It reveals very clearly the plan that God has for humanity and the hope that we have, particularly in Jesus, that that uh, what he did for us is pivotal in our in our relationship and understanding of God. But it also has so much like history of God at work with with humanity, like how God has tried over and over and over to engage with humanity and given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to, um, to be in relationship with God and, and how we keep flubbing it up and, and how that culminates in, in Jesus providing the ultimate way to engage with God and, and the, the hope that we have that, that, that will sustain us, that will bring us into, into an eternity with God. And, um, that to me, that's, those things are the core of what the, what the Bible is. So let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. The point of why we sit down and we have these conversations is really to help 
people engage in conversations and culture, what would be your uh, word to somebody or your advice to somebody that, that asks, how do I talk about scripture in conversation then? If it's, if it's not this magic book, if mm-hmm. it's not, you know, if it's not help yourself, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> how do I have that conversation? How do I engage in that? There's a couple of things that pop to mind. Um, I think the first one is is identity. I don't think it like I don't think we ever. I don't think we ever don't need. It's all a bunch of double negatives. But <laughs> I think we always need clarity about who we are. Because we're, we're always growing, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're always growing, always developing, always, you know, always learning new things, facing new challenges, all kinds of stuff. And and identity is such a huge thing um, in any cultural environment. And the Bible has so much to say about who we are. And because it's about, Fundamentally, it's about the the one who made us and what he made us for, and and the the incredible you know early in the Bible it talks about how we were made in God's image. That there's something about humanity that's carrying the fingerprint of God, and as we as we get to know the Scripture, it has so much to offer our friends, our family, our what you know, like you know. Oh, you kind of think that's all important or what, you know, like pe- people who who are chasing, you know, maybe financial success and that seems to be the only thing driving them and and it's it's an opportunity to kind of speak into their lives and like, you know what, you're a lot more than that. Like I understand that's important to you and then, I mean, it's fine, you're going to you're going to work, you're going to earn, you're going to do stuff, but you are more than what you earn. Like you, you as a person are more, are valuable regardless of what you earn. And that's such a redemptive, I mean, that's such an encouraging message and a redemptive message. And it speaks into so many societal issues, cultural issues. You know, when um, we've talked about, uh, I don't know if we've talked about it yet on this podcast, but you and I have had tons of conversations about like the American, um, American perspectives on gender and sexuality and those kind of things. And where I think the Bible has so much to offer in that, not as not from the list of rules kind of thing, but from the identity piece, like you are more than your attractions. You are more than your gender identity. Like there's more to you than that. Because you were made to be more than that. You were made in the image of God. And your character says so much more about you than any of that other stuff. That other stuff is is such a small part, really, of who you are and the value that you carry. And, man, it allows us to go into these conversations, conversations right now that on the political side seem very charged and and angry and go into it from a totally different point of view saying no like I and and this is what I love because this is stuff that Jesus did frequently you know like people were trying to get him you know to to land on an issue Jesus do you think a or b and Jesus would say I think c 
and and he would bypass their their attempt to get him caught up in a debate or an, an argument and i think in the same way we have the opportunity to do that saying you know well do you think you know about sexuality do you think a or b i'm like no i just think you're far more than like what god what god has for you is far more than than this and i you know and i i think i i not i think i have opinions about gender and about sexual sexuality that are formed from biblical values but ultimately as i engage in culture what what the bible gives me is some perspective that it's so much bigger like the the picture is so much bigger than the arguments that we're having and i think a lot of that starts in, is in in our demonstration of god living in us that our lives spotlight him and that it's spotlighted because of all the things that it's changing because of scripture. We don't change people using scripture. We change people in those conversations by our own behavior, by our own actions. And then when they go, what is it about you? Oh, let me introduce you. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I think maybe the, the Bible, one of the ways the Bible can engage, help us engage in culture and really, really neat ways is and it sounds funny just wisdom mm. there's so much very practical useful wisdom in the scripture and i and i had a really funny encounter with this the other day uh you and i have a friend named nathan and we were nathan and i were showing up to a, a really early morning event it was like it was like five in the morning and we were both pulling into the church parking lot and i was walking up to one of the buildings about the same time we were coming from different areas of the parking lot and so we were kind of intersecting and and as i was about 20 or 30 feet away um i was like morning nathan i made i made a very specific in my head i didn't say good morning i just said morning nathan because i didn't want to be rude and ignore him but you know being out and about at five wasn't exactly my idea of good uh, <laughs> And, or Nathan's for yeah, that matter. And, they, and so we were both a little groggy and he looked at me and he said, uh, I can't quote it exactly, but it basically, he quoted a, a little section from the Bible in the book of Proverbs, which is all this very kind of pithy, uh, like little quips, little sayings of, of wisdom. And he said, a loud greeting in the morning is taken as a curse. <laughs> I just started laughing and I know like, it's kind of a funny little, like there's, there's no great wisdom to it, but Nathan had been at that point and maybe still is, I don't know. He had been reading that book of Proverbs just kind of like in a daily, daily dose of just kind of, and he was absorbing it. And, and he had this very immediate response to just a, a casual greeting that was, I mean, it was apropos for the moment and it was funny and, and it's amazing whether, whether it's kind of fun and frivolous like that was, or whether it's kind of weighty and serious, there are things in the scripture that just carry wisdom, regardless of whether it's a faith conversation or not. Like sometimes we have a 
we have a, a couple here at the church that does um, financial, basically kind of crisis training in some ways, but just good, good financial counseling based on principles that are in the Bible. And like whether, whether you, whether you're a believer in, in the Jesus of the Bible or not, the, the principles are sound, they're good and they work. And, and so sometimes there's just good wisdom there that, you know, is shareable with people and you share it and they're like, Oh wow, that's that's really good perspective. Where'd you get that? Oh, that's in the Bible. What? <laughs> so what about what about for you? How does how does the Bible help us engage in culture? You have anything you want to add? No, I thought it was really good of kind of how you explained it. And and I think that the transformation that Jesus has on my life is is a bigger transformation to other people when they see something's different about me. Mm. And something's different about me because number one of my relationship with Jesus, but number two, learning about this God that I follow, mm-hmm. you know, we're not called disciples because it's a great word. <laughs> we're called disciples because we're learners. Mm. We're learners of God's character and what he wants for us and what he wants for everybody and how to engage in that. And, um, there's nothing in scripture, uh, going back to our, how, where we opened up, mm-hmm. there's nothing in scripture that says you get to pick and choose what you like out of the Bible, right, you know? Right. And sometimes I think we do that versus, um, you know, I, God never gave me the right to rip certain pages out because I thought they were yeah. wrong, you know? So, well, it's, it's tough, I think, um, because of the, you know, tooth, well, 2000 year Christian history of the Bible. And then the additional four to 6,000 years of history that before Jesus came, that's also in the Bible because there's so many concepts that have been around for so long, like millennium, literally in the Bible. Sometimes we get, we get, can get a little stuck in insider language. Mm Mm-hmm. Like even as you said, like I know what you mean when you say disciple, and most people I think would track with what you're saying, but unless you're a follower of Jesus, it's a religious term. It's it's just a religious term, and it's a it can almost have a, like a a cultish kind of feel if you're complete. Like if you're a complete atheist, and somebody says I'm a disciple of this, you're like. Hmm, what what is that? And I love it when we can cast the Bible in modern language. So for example, that word, best word I've I've come across in modern language would be apprentice. Or a um, student. Student of, apprentice of. Yeah. Um, and so there's often such great opportunity, I think, as we engage with culture to take biblical concepts and truths and stories and cast them in modern light that help people be like, oh yeah, that's that actually so much of what is in there is relevant to me today. I just get hung up sometimes on the on language that feels old. And when we can cast that in into modern language, pe- the re- the relevance becomes very obvious. I think you make a huge point, and not so much that particular term might feel cultish, hmm. but using terms that are religious 
can cause people to feel left out Ooh, and not yeah, included in. And so, you know, I think about um, sometimes I will listen to, uh, here's a great example. I was sitting in a conversation on people talking about um, AI. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot in the news today. Yeah. yeah, a lot in the news today. Had not a clue. Had not a clue what they were talking about. Um, and they, and these two are are engaged in it because they're they're very tech savvy and very yeah. engaged in the tech world. Um, and it'd be like listening to engineers talk about building a bridge, and I'd be like, "Yeah, I think I'll go over to the buffet," <laughs> you know, because I don't have anything to contribute. I don't right. have, and I think so many times as um, as Christians, we use these terms easily. They just roll off our tongues because we're so used to them but we don't realize how much that separates people out because mm. they don't connect yeah. with what we're trying to say. And I think it's a great point that you make is that one of the ways that we can engage in culture better is to adjust our language that includes people into it, not excludes. Yeah. Ah, really good. Really good. Well, that is, um, man, that's good stuff. I really enjoyed this conversation. The Bible is not a magic book. <laughs> it is, it is a, it is a love letter, but it's also uh, this rich history of God at work in people's lives. And when we can engage with it, understand it, and talk about it in accessible language, man, it becomes a way, a, a tool to engage with our culture. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Hope this inspires a faith-infused conversation for you. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.